Sometimes when you're singing a song, you have a very uh, strange moment that I'm sure they used to have when they would travel on horseback when you're like, oh no, a bridge, um, and you're not ready for it. Never mind, that was a silly joke. For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that's from Esther 4.14. So the book of Esther is unique and unusual in one huge way. It is the book of the Bible that never mentions God, never explicitly mentions God, and that is baffling to me. But it talks about faithfulness, it talks about fasting, but it never explicitly mentions God. It talks about God's people, but that in itself makes it very unique in the Bible. So we are going to be in the book of Esther, the whole book of Esther, and I'm not going to read it all to you today, or at least I'm not planning to, but I suppose we'll see what happens. And I made a huge oversight this morning where after worship, I did not have you say good morning to each other. So some of you are probably sitting there going, I didn't even get to shake hands with that guy over there. Um, Why don't we take a brief intermission from what I'm doing up here? Will you say good morning to one another? I feel like I missed it. I'm sure you missed it too. So if you could just take a moment, say good morning to the people around you. I'm actually going to come down and I'm going to get PJ because I have to. Doesn't that feel a little bit better to everybody else now? We were just sitting there with all this stifled welcome. It would have been better if it was in its proper place, but thank you for humoring me there. I uh, 
You ever have those moments where you realize you forgot something? And I didn't want that to be the garage door moment that was going to distract me for the rest of the service. Be like, is it open? Is it closed? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. We are in the book of Esther, chapter one. Now it came to pass that in the days of Osiris, Osiris, it was Osiris who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. And in those days when King Osiris sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all of his officials and his servants and the powers of Persia and Midia and the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. And when these days were complete, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan, the citadel, from the small in the court of the garden of the king's house and palace, from the great to the small, I'm sorry, so for everyone. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords and fine linen, and purple on silver rods and marble pillars, and the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, white and black marble. If you have not currently been to the Lowe's website, even now, that would be incredibly expensive. Just putting that out there. And they serve drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory. For so the king had ordered all the officers in his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Assyrus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehermen, Bitztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king Osiris, to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing the royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and to the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command and brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious and his anger burned within him. So at the end of all this celebrating, his queen refuses to show up. It's like, come in here so everybody can see you in all your splendor and see how beautiful she, that you look. And she's just like, nah, I just, I just don't feel like it today. There may have been more to it than that, but we don't get that detail. So she refuses because she's the queen after all, right? She should be able to refuse, but no, no, she doesn't get to. So this actually causes even the wise men around the king to be concerned because if the queen can tell her husband no, this is going to cause disorder in the kingdom because everybody's wife is suddenly going to be like, well, the queen didn't show up, so I don't have to listen to you. So, and I'm serious, this is in chapter one. I'm paraphrasing, but that's exactly what happens is they're like, this is going to cause a serious issue. So the wise men around the king say, make a decree that the queen should never appear in front of you again. 
and give her job to someone else. It's one of those one strike and you're out systems, I guess. So that's exactly what happens. And afterwards, the king gets another piece of advice that he should get all the beautiful young virgins in the in the all of his territories should be brought before him. And they have kind of like a almost like a, a beauty pageant, I assume. Or maybe he got a lot of wives out of this deal. Probably he's the king. But Esther ends up being in that group of people. And Esther is a Jewish girl who is an orphan who's raised by her cousin uh, Mordecai. And when she is brought into the house of the king, Mordecai gives her this advice. And because she's an obedient girl, that is actually the giant crux of the book of Esther is obedience. If you're looking for a main focus, a main focal point, it is obedience. Mordecai advises her, don't tell people who your people are. Don't tell them you're Jewish. Because Jews are in exile at this point. They are exiles within this king's territory. But because she's a beautiful young lady, she's taken into the king's house. And sure enough, she becomes the king's favorite. And she is made queen. The, and I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 17. The king loved Esther than, more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in the sight more than all of the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. The king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of the king. So he is very happy. During the same period of time, her cousin Mordecai, who sits at the gates. Now, Mordecai is the man that raised her. Again, because she's an orphan. He sits at the king's gates and he comes uh, into this information that two of the king's eunuchs plan to hurt him. They plan to kill him. And so he makes the matter known. And they arrest those men. And the king is saved. And this is a moment that actually kind of baffles me a little bit, but I love it. Is Mordecai is very faithful to the circumstance he's in. He is an exile in the kingdom of this king. Yet he cares enough about what the right thing is that he doesn't want to see the king assassinated even though it's a king that he's under while in exile, while, you know, he's a, he's a refugee. It seems like it shouldn't matter to him, or maybe this would even be good for him. Yet he alerts the king anyway. And that brings us to uh, chapter three. After these things, King Osiris promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, or so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Now, why wouldn't Mordecai bow or pay homage? Did he not like Haman? Well, no. This is one of those implicit things. This isn't explicitly said, but Mordecai is Jewish. You do not bow before these people. You bow before God. 
Because Mordecai is Jewish, he will not bow to Haman. When the king's servants who were with the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily and he would not listen to them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told him that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Esaras, the, pe the people of Mordecai. So, because Mordecai won't bow down, and Mordecai's Jewish, and now Haman knows that no Jewish people are going to bow down and pay homage to him, he wants to destroy all of them. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, Nisan sorry, the twelfth year of King Assyrus, they cast per, that is the lot, they cast lots before Haman, and determined the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Assyrus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all the other people's, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasures, treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all the Haman's commands. To the king's satraps, the governors who were over each province, and to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language, in the name of King Osiris, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring, and the letters were sent by courier into all the king's provinces to destroy and to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, month which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. Now, here's something that we can gloss over in here. Not only is this a horrible thing, but there are 12 months, right? This is in the first month that they're making this decree to be carried out in the 12th month. So there's something potentially terrifying about hearing. If it's January and you told me in December, all of my relatives are going to be murdered and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, that would be a rather heavy weight to carry, wouldn't it? But that's the boat they're in. So, when Mordecai, we're on to chapter 4, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and he went into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. 
In every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai to take a sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what it was and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay in the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given to Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and to explain it to her, and that he might command her to go into the king and make supplication to him and to plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death except the one who the king holds out his golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. This is an interesting system. Any man or woman that comes before the king, if he holds out his golden scepter to them, well, then they're welcome. He's happy to see them. If he does not hold out his golden scepter, if he just ignores your presence, they kill you. This seems rather scary, actually. It's like, no, I'll go see him. Sure. Can you imagine going into someone's house and having that same set of rules? You would certainly call ahead. There would be many empty kingdom halls. That was a horrible joke. I apologize. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than any of the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews, presents, and Sushan, and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night and day. My maids will go fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all Esther commanded him. So this is another illusion we have to God. Because people are fasting. So if they're fasting, they're also praying. But it doesn't explicitly say that. All of this is pointing to people being obedient to the law of being a Jew. And what does that point to? Well, they're, they're following the law of God. But it never explicitly says it. And I find that to be almost a remiss. In rabbinic Judaism, they have a tendency to quote part of a verse, but then they won't say the part they're emphasizing. 
right? So if I was going to call someone a pig, I would say, well, I'm just not going to cast my pearls here. And you would know that I've just insulted you because you know don't cast your pearls before swine, right? That would be an instant of remiss, though a lot less polite. Whereas I feel like in this book of Esther, it's the fact that they don't explicitly say God that actually highlights and emphasizes him more than if they were just to say, because of God, and the Lord will deliver you. Well, yes, the Lord will deliver you. But now I'm really looking for it because they're not saying it. And it's actually causing me this not, not concern so much as it's causing me emotion to see how God is working. And why isn't anyone saying it? You know? Um, and I think it's very intentional. So we're on to uh, chapter five. And I'm actually going to summarize a bit of this. Actually, I'm going to read most of chapter five, but I'm going to summarize a lot of the book of Esther today. And I would highly recommend that you read it for yourself. It's very short. If you don't like to read, download the YouVersion Bible app. It will read it to you. You can listen to it twice in an hour. It's not very long. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court and that she found favor in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand when Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half of the kingdom. So Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for him. And the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther says. And so the king and Haman went to the banquet as Esther, that Esther had prepared. And at the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It is. It shall be granted to you. What is your request up to half of the kingdom? It shall be done. And Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and it pleases the king to grant my petition and to fulfill my request, and let the king and Haman come to a banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So Haman went out that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate and that he did not stand and tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches and the multitude of his children, everything which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides... Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her to go along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high. That's about 80 feet. That is not small. 
and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it, and then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. That night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were brought before the king. And it was found, written, that Mordecai had told of Bigathan and Teresh, two of the king's units, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Osiris. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's service who was attending him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, Haman is here, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? And it goes on to say this, but who does Haman think the king is talking about? Himself, right? He's doing so well. He's just got promoted. He's got all these sons. The queen has even asked just him to dine with the king and her. Obviously, he is a special, special man. And now the king is like, what do I do for someone who I wish to honor? So Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king is ridden, which has a royal crest placed on his head. And let the robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to any man whom the king delights to honor. So Haman thinks he's suggesting what he gets to do. He's like, give me one of your robes and then you'll have one of these important government guys lead me through the city and proclaim how wonderful I am. But this is the fun part is he has just told the king what to do to the man he hates most. And who would be an important government official that could lead a horse? Haman. Haman would be an important government official that can lead a horse through the city square, proclaiming how wonderful the man on horseback is. And there's this excellent moment. Because of the obedience of Mordecai to the situation that he was in, and because of the obedience of Esther to Mordecai, he is being honored by the man who wishes to kill him, who hates him more than anything else, and he has no choice. The king tells him, go do everything you just said for Mordecai. Don't forget a single thing. And so Haman has to parade Mordecai through the city square, proclaiming, this is what will be done if the king takes delight in you. The meanwhile, he has an 80-foot gallows he had built that he hoped to kill this man with. Hmm. Anyway, so Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, the wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, 
If Mordecai, before whom you've begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him. You will surely fall before him. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came, which hastened to bring Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther, and it shall be granted to you. And what is your request up to half of the kingdom? It shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy would never compensate for the king's losses. So King Osiris answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Who on earth would attack the people of my queen? Is what he's asking. Hmm. And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. And Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. So the king is so mad he leaves the room. If ever I enraged my father to the point he left the room, that was terrifying. And I'm sure that some of you know that feeling. My father was a very mild-mannered guy. Unless. <laughs> but the king leaves the room. Never a good sign. And Haman immediately starts trying to suck up to the queen, saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this. Don't kill me. I'm so sorry. And believe it or not, he actually makes his situation worse. When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. So he is sprawled out on the couch where Esther is, begging and the king said, will you also assault the queen while I am in the house? So this has come from why are you trying to kill my queen to why are you touching my queen? I've read through that probably a thousand times and never noticed that before. Haman could not have done worse if he had planned. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. That makes me think of Vacation Bible School a couple years ago. Wendy made hamantash, which actually means Haman's ears. And this is a little side note. It costs you nothing. They're actually delicious cookies, but this is super morbid. Um, apparently, when they used to hang someone, they would cut off their ears to be kind of a humiliation. 
And so there's these little delightful Jewish cookies that are kind of jelly cookies that are called hamantash. They're called Haman's ears that they still make to celebrate Haman getting his comeuppance. I just think that's interesting. Also, they're really good cookies. If anyone feels like making hamantash sometime, that would be okay with me. So Esther goes ahead. Esther saves the Jewish people. She goes before the king and says, hey, can we make a decree to save the Jewish people? And not only that, but the king also decrees that the Jews can take vengeance against anyone who is going to come against them. And people become so afraid of the Jewish people that some pretend to be Jewish. And I love that irony that now people are so afraid of the wrath of the Jewish people that some of them pretend to be Jewish. And Mordecai is given basically Haman's job. In chapters 10, or 9 and 10, it really tells the rest of the story, how the Jews destroy their tormentors and how they create this feast called Purim, which was supposed to be the day of their destruction, I believe. No, it isn't. It's a couple months after. But to celebrate not only that they were delivered, but they were mightily delivered to the point where people became terrified of them. And in the spirit of, of calling this what I believe it to be, which is more of a remiss where you're not emphasizing the most obvious portion of Scripture, it's because of the faithfulness of God that he delivers his people. And you can actually see, much like in our lives, you can see where all these horrible things lead to the salvation of God's people. And we can see that in our own lives when, do we, when we really look for it. Esther's an orphan. That's horrible. Her parents died. And she had to go live with a relative. Had that not happened, all the Jews may have died. Because she wouldn't have been in the place where she was taken into the king's household. Now, if this king, this pagan king who conquered the people had not found her so beautiful and wanted to impress her, all of the Jews may have died. It is this very interesting story about just being obedient in the situation that you're in. Growing where you are. To do your best to be obedient to God in the situation you find yourself. There's a verse in Habakkuk in chapter 3 where it says, Make my feet like the feet of a deer. What the person is asking, and it's repeated in the Psalms, although it may have been in a different order. It's said in Psalms and repeated in Habakkuk. What the person is asking, what the person is praying, isn't that God makes their path easier. It's that he equips their feet for the path they're on. And we don't pray like that, though we should. We're not praying for shade in the desert. We're praying for air conditioning. I love air conditioning. I said so during Sunday school this morning. But are we looking for God to meet our needs? 
Are we looking for God to be glorified in spite of the circumstances we're in, or are we looking for an easy ride? And I find myself often praying that God would change the path I'm on, that God would make things easier for me, that I wouldn't have to go through the trials, that I wouldn't have to go through the issues. When in reality, what I see modeled in the book of Esther and what I see said in Habakkuk and what I see said in the Psalms is that I should be praying and fasting that I can handle the situation that I'm in. And that God could use me in the situations that I'm in to glorify him. Because life is incredibly short. It's a flash in the pan. If you were going to make a timeline of eternity, which you can't do. If you were going to make a timeline of a million years and put my lifespan on it, you would not be able to see it without a magnifying glass. It's a flash. Life is short. What can I do with my finiteness to glorify the maker of heaven and earth for his glory? How can I be obedient to the part of the story that I was written into? We have a tendency to look at ourselves as being a main character, and we are to our own stories, obviously. But there's a bigger story going on, the story of God and his people, which is what we've been looking at for about a year now, is the story of God and his people. What is our part in that story? We all have a part in that. We are the living stones that make up the temple of God. What are we doing to be obedient to the position that we've been placed in? And that's all I really have for you this morning. If you can do so without pain, would you stand with me? Father God, I thank you for the scriptures that you've given us. I thank you for the people that are around us that we can celebrate and worship with. Father, I pray that we would learn to glorify you in all that we do and all that we say and everywhere we go. Father, I pray that you would draw us closer to one another and closer to you as we follow after you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time, that brings us to our time of announcements, prayer, and sharing, which will be led by Ron Hennig. <laughs>